this Friday. Your favorite emotions are back on the big screen in Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. It's time to greet your Team Riley. It's anger. Let me at him. Fear. Safety checklist is complete. Disgust. Ew, ew. Ugh. Sadness is in the house. Oh, no. Hello, I'm anxiety. I'm one of Riley's new emotions. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. There's a part two? We're going. Ready PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only theaters Friday. Get tickets now. This is the Book Riot Podcast, a weekly news and talk show about what's new, cool, and worth talking about in the world of books and reading. This is episode 228. We're recording on Thursday, September 21st. I'm Rebecca Shinsky here with Jeff O'Neill, and we're coming to you from bookriot.com. I'm under the weather, Rebecca. I know, my friend. I'm sorry. I know. It's been a, it's been a rough week. We had all these forest fires here because um, literally the world is burning, apparently. And I thought it was just, you know, being irritated. And it was being irritated, but by um, malevolent uh, uh, viral yeah. instead of just... Mother Nature likes her metaphors literal. Yeah, just instead <laughs> of um, ashen trees, it was, you know, microbial organisms that want to kill me. So here I am. I've got tea. I'll mute my cough as best I can. Um, but here we are. It wouldn't, you know, it wouldn't be a good time for me to do lit chat, right? And it's not, see, my segue, it's just, I'm off. I don't know what to do. I don't know. I, I apologize to the universe, to our listeners, say, everyone have, like, involved. You have your tea. Do you have your mug warmer thing? No, because that's at the office. I'm at home because oh, Rowan's sick too. Buddy. And I'm just, I'm just. Everything's the worst. I just don't like this. I'm wearing a, a, my sweatshirt's too small. Just nothing's <laughs> going on right here. So you need a Snuggie, first of all. What are you even doing over there? But you see, what most people use as a Snuggie is just a regular hoodie for me because I'm enormous. That's true. Like, this yeah, is a good it, point. it's just like, is that a Snuggie? No, that's my Kansas sweatshirt. That's just what it is. <laughs> So we, we talked. We talked. We did. We did yeah. some fun. Um, um, we played a little bit of the lit chat game, which you uh, specifically, um, under the aegis of Book Riot, developed with Abrams. It's a fifty-card game discussion game, right? I'm just going to keep yep. saying game until my face falls off. Apparently, um, where each each card has a, a prompt, a question, and you read it out to the entire group. I was trying to think of some other places because I said last time road trips would be a lot of fun. Mm. If you, mm-hmm. you know, maybe as part of your book club, that'd yeah, be fun. Yeah, Amanda did it with her book oh, club. Oh, she did. She How did it, it go? Did she say it was mm-hmm. fun? Um, yeah, she said it was good. She texted me like, we did it and it was great and I forgot to take pictures for Instagram. Uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> next time. There's 50 of them. So you probably didn't get through all of them. I had one here, but I cleaned up, which when what happens when I mm. clean up my desk is I don't know what anything is. Lose things. But it's yep. a great size for a stocking stuffer. I know it's early. I know it's early for this kind of stuff, but some people like to get ahead of time. I'm, this is what I'm planting the seed, and then I can reap the whirlwind of everyone's holiday shopping later. When Lit Chat, I, it's a great stocking stuffer. I do. I think so, too. And actually, each of the 50 cards has two questions. Mm. So you have 100 opportunities yes. to learn things about your favorite bookish people. Um, we, I've played this now with you and Liberty on episodes of various podcasts, and it's gone in interesting directions. Mm. So I picked a relatively straight question, but who knows mm-hmm. uh, where where this might go. So here is what I would like. I actually, in like six years of doing work together on books, I'm not sure I know your answer to this question oh, in advance. Man. Okay, I'm Which ready. Is it, okay. How do you treat your books? Do you make notes in them? Do you dog your pages? Or do you keep them pristine? Um... Well, when it comes to fiction, pristine. Um, okay. Even to the point of uh, maybe using library covers on hardbacks. Maybe I'm just saying. Oh, I mean, just it's maybe possible. It's, like, it's a thing that has occurred to you. That at my some Morris, point. that my Toni Morrison hardcover collection may all be librarized up. Um, my nonfiction, 
I don't treat as preciously because my nonfiction collection is mostly a usable collection that's physical. My audio stuff, there's nothing to do with it. But like for my annotated stuff, it's got highlights and book darts and flags and, you know, that, that's what we call a, a, working, a working collection. Um, I should take a picture of my, I got all my literary history stuff from my, my existing life, plus some mm-hmm. stuff I've got, and I've got on a shelf on the office. And I should take a picture of it, but it's all marked up and flagged and whatever um, might be. So, I guess depending on the the use case, it's different. Different for me. That's that's me. That's you. Yeah, that's me. I'm kind of. I read with a pen in my hand. I think just by force of habit, mm-hmm. like it feels weird to hold a book and not have a pen in one hand. But I don't do anything systematic. And in most of the things I read, I think I probably don't mark anything, mm-hmm. um, especially most novels. But some, if a line hits me, I'll underline it. If I'm reading nonfiction or especially somebody like uh, Cheryl Strait or Brene Brown or something like that, I'll mark up things that I know I'm going to come back to, you know, mm-hmm. over and over. Or um, I don't know, like my copy of When Women Were Birds has a bunch of things marked up in it. But also there is some fiction, I guess, because probably I read it for the first time in college. Like my copy of Sula is bonkers marked up and i don't know if i was reading it for the first time right now if i would mark it up yeah. but since i reread it like once a year and it already has all these things in it i feel compelled to like you broke the seal going. you broke the seal <laughs> yeah i don't have any I, i'm never trying to keep a book mm. pristine um and i think it shows like they end up you know co- covered in coffee stains and the covers are bent back and I feel like that's how a how you know that a book has been well loved like I carried Mm -hmm. it with me everywhere for two weeks and this is what it looks like now so that's lit chat if you like that if you want to put your bookish friends and family members and whoever else on the spot a little share a little bit about your reading lives you can do that with the lit chat card deck go to bookriot.com slash lit chat to check it out you can pre-order it now they become available for reels on october 3rd but if you pre-order you'll be able to claim a cool free read sticker those you know white oval stickers with the black letters in the middle that like people normally put on their cars to brag about the marathons they run you can put one on your car that indicates that you are a reader slap it on your laptop whatever um so again bookriot.com slash lit chat to check that out. Uh, You guys will be hearing more about this over the next couple of months. So thanks for playing along with us and feel free to answer that question yourselves with us. Hit us up on Twitter and let us know what you do with your books. Or if you're a Book Riot insider, you can talk to us on Slack. Uh, Award season continues apace here. Um, We're going to go quickly over the Kirkus Awards and then the National Book Award long list is out. So this is the finalist for Kirkus is awards. They have three categories, mm-hmm. fiction, nonfiction, and young readers literature. It's an interesting appellation there at the end. Um, I'm guessing, let's see. Um, so the finalists of note, I've read Sing Unburied Sing, Sing Unburied Sing by Jasmine Ward, which is excellent. And I've read Exit really, West really by Mohsen Hamid, which is also excellent. Also made the long mm-hmm. list for the booker. So that book is shaping up to be one of the books of the year, at least if you use um, award nominations and or victories and or mentions as um, as uh, keeping score moments. Um, what it means when a man falls from the sky um, is one I've heard a lot about. Oh, it's great. I read it earlier yeah. this year. It's a debut collection of short stories, and it ranges from sort of straight short story to almost like full-on 
fable slash mythology. There is just a huge range mm. in this collection. Um, another book that's, that's on my list to read that I haven't gotten to yet is Alice McDermott's The Ninth Hour, because I'm a sucker for or for any and all New York historical fiction, especially in Brooklyn. And this one is, um, it's, it centers on the little nursing sisters of the sick poor uh, in Brooklyn in the 20th century. So a nonprofit group of women, you know, getting mixed up in the Brooklyn world of the early 20th centuries. I'm here for that as well. Um, White Tears by Hari Kunzru came out earlier this year, got a lot of early buzz and kind of faded away. Um, but this one, bringing it back to the, the conversations, the earlier in the year releases tend to have a more difficult time um, sticking around. And in the nonfiction section, a lot of interesting stuff that I have either read or I'm really interested in. Priest Daddy by Patricia Lockwood is a, a shared favorite um, of both mm-hmm. of ours. It made me realize this year, I've had several audio experiences this year where in the old, um, does it count if you to, to listen to it as having read a book? not only is absurd, but I think audio is even the preferred format. I think Priest Daddy is one of those. Mm -hmm. Um, You Don't Have to Say You Love Me by Sherman Alexie is another one that I read this year. Cosign. That is totally in that. Um, That's so good on audio. I also did the full Sarah Vowell and David Sedaris oeuvres on audio this summer. And both of those people, uh, and Sedaris especially, seems to me that um, spoken, you know, read aloud is the format. To, to to experience that in. So anyway, um, a brief digression of Priest Daddy. Um, I have on my list to read this book about, it's called The Seeds of Life, and it's a science mm-hmm. history of seeds and how they've been thought about and understood and not understood through time. I'm a huge fan of this take a object and follow it through history. Um, they're not really, I guess they're kind of micro histories, but also more histories of a thing. Um, I'm mm-hmm. listening right now to um, a book called Koinor, which is about the famed um, diamond that was basically taken out of India um, by the English and is now in the crown jewels uh, in the Tower of London, uh, the famed Koinor, which translates to Mountain of Light. It's a history of that particular diamond, but diamonds in general and also of colonialism. So that's in my, that's in my particular vein of interest. Um, the Gulf, the Making of American Sea about the Gulf of Mexico is re- sounds really interesting too. Um, I don't really read food books that much, but this one called The Cooking Gene um, by Michael Twitty, a culinary journey through African American, oh, excuse me, a journey through African American culinary history in the Old South uh, sounds really interesting. And then I did buy yeah. for my ever increasing literary history correction this new <laughs> Henry David Thoreau doorstop of a biography by Laura Dassault Walls. Um, one thing that's happened of late, there was a Hemingway biography too. We're getting some biographies of the great men of literature, capital M men, written by women, which I think is an interesting trend. Um, and I'm curious to, to follow how some of these people, men's lives and um, legacies will be seen refracted through a, a different um, uh, vantage point. Um, so I'm, I'm anxious to pick that one up too. So let's see. Yeah, the one I've had my eye on the cooking gene for a while. Mm-hmm. I really love food nonfiction. So that's right in my wheelhouse. And the one that I'm most curious about, I think, is Tell Me How It Ends, an essay in 40 questions by uh, Valeria Luiselli, which uh, she also wrote The Story of My Teeth, which mm. was a big book last year. And I think it was a finalist for the Translated Book Award. Um, so, and this one is translated as well. 
by Lizzie Davis, but it calls it a powerful call to action and empathy. It's a dialogue on Latin American children fleeing violence in their homelands to seek refuge in America. So very timely topic from a well-known writer. Um, But I just have to take a second to co-sign or second Mm. the emotion or whatever about Priest Daddy being not just a great book on audio, but like, I I think it was Amanda, I was telling recently, like, I think you're missing something Mm -hmm. if you just if you just read it, there is something lost from the story and the experience and Lockwood's voice and the way that she performs all of the people in her family as she is writing about them in the book. It's a um, really singular audiobook yes. kind of experience. Yeah. And I think I would have been sad to have read it in print. You, uh, if you wouldn't read know. It in print, like, it's like an AB universe. You wouldn't even know what you don't know if you've only read it in print. And I'm sure there are yeah. compensations to be had in reading it only in print or you know, first in print. But um, I can't imagine if I only had one swing at the plate with Priest Daddy knowing what I know about the audio performance, not to pick the audiobook. I just can't, I can't see myself yeah, making a different choice about that. It's just really um, excellent and weird and funny. And then in, um, in the young people's, yeah. in the young readers literature finalist for the Kirkus Prize, the only one of these books that I know, um, neither of us is a great or very no. reader of YA and especially of children's books is The Hate You Give by Angie Thomas, which is a novel inspired by the Black Lives I did read Matter that. movement. I did read that this it's, year. Man, um, it's, it's great. And it's so hard to imagine anything beating it this year. Like no. I, I think if you're putting The Hate You Give in a category, it's kind of like trying to imagine something beating Underground Railroad last yeah, year. Yeah, it's 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 difficult. The, the interesting thing about um, what Kirkus does with their young readers is they lump in all young readers in together. So you're getting picture books, you're getting middle grade and young adults. So you're getting things like this one book is um, a picture book for ages three to five, uh, all the way up to mm-hmm. The Hate You Give, which is 14 and up. So that's a difficult category to to compare apples to apples, even within that particular apple cart. Um, but yeah, that's, I think, clearly the front runner for all young literature, young adult awards this year has to be the hate you give, I, I would think. Um, yeah, and you know, we since we typically comment on it, this is a very all the way around uh, a very diverse that is true. and interesting list of finalists. Like, it's not just like they made sure that there was one person of color mentioned in each category so that Book Riot wouldn't yell at them. Like, this mm. is it, and many of the best books of the year are indeed, I think, these books. Um, but I'm really pleased to see what appears to be, I hope, I hope it's progress and not a one-off, to see a really diverse list mm-hmm. um, of nominees here. I don't know all the ins and outs of how Kirkus Books I don't get nominated. Either. I believe there's a pan, like a selection panel um, for the finalists and it's booksellers and librarians and people who work for Kirkus. But good on you. These books definitely rec- deserve the recognition and it's great to see um, a diverse and eclectic And list. I tell you what, um, the Kirkus Prize is relatively new, but it is, in terms of cash on the barrel, mm-hmm. the biggest one I think you can win as an American for a single book. 50 grand. Um, this is quite as it's kept the Pulitzer and National Book Award. You don't, you don't get that much cash and you kind of make it up in sales. Whereas with Kirkus, you win, you know, that's a good, that's a good year uh, of, uh, you know, a writer's teaching salary for sure, which I assume most of these people are um, yeah, here's a, here, this would be an amazing, uh, experiment. How many of these, so there's what, 15 finalists? How many of these people are making their living exclusively off their, their type, typewriter, their, their keyboard? Oh. Probably not mm, that many, right? Probably not many. Um, I mean, does Jasmine Ward make enough 
That's a great question, right? Because she's yeah, a big name. I don't know. Name, I don't know if she. But she, she, does she, she make also enough teach? to to to, to live just off royalty checks and advances? Hard to know. Patricia Lockwood. Hard to say. Oh, a professional poet. Yeah, yeah. She lives in Lawrence, <laughs> Kansas, my hometown, and I think she teaches there too, or something, at the university. Okay. I'm not exactly sure, but and the nonfiction ones, I'd assume. None of these people live exclusively off their Mm-mm. book royalties alone. A- A- Angie Thomas might be the most, um, certainly has the most potential to, because his book is selling very well, and there's a movie being made right now of The Hate You Give, so she's getting royalties from that, but also the concomitant book sales. Um, but still very difficult to imagine um, that that 50K wouldn't ma- make a big difference to almost oh. all of these writers. Yeah, yeah, it's a huge, huge possibility and a great award to say that you yes. have won. Moving on to one of the more established. Yeah, the National Book Award long list uh, came out. Yeah, those are out this week or maybe last week. The mm-hmm. short lists come out in, in another couple or, or rather the finalists. Um, but the long list for fiction is Dark at the Crossing by Elliot Ackerman. The King is Always Above the People with just short stories by Daniel um, Alarcon. And th- that is not out yet. It comes out soon. Uh, Miss Burma by Charmaine Craig. Manhattan Beach by Jennifer Egan, which interesting to see this on here. There's only been like a little yeah, bit of buzz about this new I'm reading that book, man. Jennifer Egan novel. Me too. And like, I you would think, especially after how big a visit to the Goon Squad is, there would have been a huge publicity press for it. So I'm curious and interested in like what's going on there, and really interested in what the book will be about. But this nod from the National Book Awards uh, is not a bad starting sign for her. Just to pause on uh, that one a moment before we get on, mm-hmm. and I forget. But I, I tell me if you agree that it feels like a visit from the Goon Squad came out just on the cusp of the bookish internet being the 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 monster that it is now. Like it's kind of like oh, it yeah. feels like from a different era, even. But it was only like it a does. year off. It was like a year too early to really. <laughs> when be it caught. was like it was like so innovative yeah. that a chapter of the book was done as a PowerPoint, which feels so dated now, too. Weirdly, which yeah, <laughs> it does feel so dated now. Like it's uh, things have changed so much and so quickly since that book came out. But yeah, I was kind of thinking about that recently too. It's that's a weird artifact. Yeah. Um, the the next ones are The Leavers by Lisa Ko, um, Pachinko by Min Jin Lee. I've heard a lot about both of those. Um, Her Body and Other Parties, short stories by Carmen Maria Machado, which was also one of the finalists mm-hmm. for the Kirkus Prize. Um, Liberty has been talking about that one a little bit. I think a really innovative uh, debut short story collection. So that'll be fun to follow. A Kind of Freedom by Margaret Wilkerson Sexton. Sing Unburied Sing by Jasmine Ward and Barren Island by Carol Zoroff. Couple on here I hadn't heard of um, at all. I think Sing Unburied Sing is one that's going to be tough to beat this year. Um, Just a really terrific book all the way around. And the judges for this category are... Alexander Chi, Dave Eggers, Annie Philbrick, Carolina Waklawiak, and Jacqueline Woodson is the chair. Mm. So kind of fun to play the game of like, what are those yeah. particular people going to end up choosing? Um, I could see maybe Pachinko having a shot. Um, I just, yeah, I don't I've only read that, one of I don't these think so we're far, s- so I've only read the word, so it's difficult for me to, yeah. to comment. I'm just doing, now I'm just doing some guessing based on like buzz and what has seemed big. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, but, um, good nomination there for Lisa Coe for Algonquin. Um, yeah. Uh, Charmaine Craig from Grove. I'm just looking at some of the new issues, uh, which is Poetry and Prose. The Barren Island is a very small press. Um, mm-hmm. And, then, and okay. uh, Counterpoint Press is relatively small, yeah. publishing a kind of freedom. Right. Um, in the nonfiction, none of these books I've read, um, and 
I, I think that the the meta story about this one is how overtly political the list is, um, mm-hmm. which is neither here nor there, good nor bad. Just it is what it is. Comparing to the Kirkus one, which was, you know, there's there's politics and everything and so on and so forth. But this is very, this is very much a, a overtly political list. You know, um, interesting stuff to see there. The you know, I guess Killer of the Flower Moon is the most the highest profile one. That's like a bestseller, big title. You're seeing mm-hmm. an airport David book. David Grand. Yeah. Um, let's see. After that, you're kind of getting like, no, Naomi Klein's new book. No is not enough. Um, the Blood of Emmett Till has gotten some some press. I am interested in Kevin Young's Bunk, The Rise of Hoaxes, mm-hmm. Humbugs, Plagiarist, Phonies, Post Facts, and Fake News from Grey Wolf. Um, that I actually have a copy of that to read. Masha Gessen, who's had quite a year. Um, all the way around, writing especially about Russia. Um, her book, The Future is History, How Totalitarianism Reclaimed Russia, is a finalist here from Reverhead. Um, yeah, interesting stuff. Yeah, and an interesting lineup of judges there too. Mm-hmm. Um, Steve Burkew, Jeff Chang, Ruth Franklin, Paula J. Giddings, and Valeria Luiselli, um, who was a finalist or is a finalist for the Kirkus Prize. So interesting, just like this is how small the literary world is, yeah. <laughs> crossover. Yeah. Um, I don't know all of these folks, but Jeff Chang, an overtly political writer, his mm-hmm. book, We Gonna Be All Right, um, has the best and most concise explanation that I've encountered of how Fer- how what happened in Ferguson happened in Ferguson and like the hundred years of local mm-hmm. politics. Uh, that led up to that. If you've not yet read it, but you're thinking about those issues about Black Lives Matter, um, that is definitely worth a look. Ruth Franklin tends to be relatively political in her criticism, um, so will be interesting. And Valeria Luiselli's book is about um, Latin American children escaping to America, which also contains a whole bunch of political uh, ideas. So it'll be interesting to see what those folks do. I feel completely out of my depth with the poetry category. Um, totally and completely so, out of my depth. <laughs> the only one, there are 10 uh, on the long list. And the only one that I've read is Don't Call Us Dead by D- Denez Smith, which is a beautiful and bracing and uh, difficult work of poetry that takes on a lot of current issues as well. Um, so we will leave the link in the show notes for all of you, if you're more interested in looking at those. Um, and there's a good young adult list too. Again, the hate you give, um, all, all the wind in the world by Samantha Mabry. Uh, that is the upcoming, I think, follow up to a fierce and subtle poison. Mm-hmm. Uh, lots of buzz for that really interesting and diverse lists, uh, here as well. So I won't pretend to know more about young adult. No, fiction I'm not either. I mean, <laughs> the hate I you know, give but... again, I think is the front runner. Um, a long way, a uh, long way down by Justin Reynolds also has a lot of buzz. All the wind in the world, as you said, you bring the distant near by Tally Perkins. I remember when I saw that in Publishers Weekly, I was like, oh, "That's that's a book that sounds like it's going to be interesting." Um, but these are good lists if you're looking for a way, you know, if you're looking for a list of books to to um, you know try to pick something. You could do a lot worse than both the Kirkus and National Book Award lists. Um, the National Book Award shortlist come out in a couple weeks. And the Kirkus Award is also, it'll be, I guess, done here in a little bit. Uh, let's do another sponsor. Sponsor, sponsor, sponsor. All right. Yeah, we are sponsor, sponsor, sponsor. Uh, we are sponsored this week by The Wonderling by Mira Bartuk. Welcome to the home for wayward and misbegotten creatures, an institution run by evil Miss Carbuncle, a cunning villainess who believes her terrified young charges exist only to serve and suffer. 
Part animal and part human, the groundlings toil in classroom and factory, forbidden to enjoy anything regular children have, most particularly singing and music. For the wonderling, an innocent-hearted, one-eared, fox-like, 11-year-old with only a number rather than a proper name, a 13 etched on a medallion around his neck, it is the only home he's ever known." Richly imagined with shimmering language, steampunk motifs, gripping magical plot twists. This is high adventure adventure fantasy. It's a debut novel um, from an award-winning memoirist. Mira Bartuk um, has already been, this book um, by Mira Bartuk, I'm sorry, has already been put into development for a major motion picture. And boy, this sounds like it would be fun to watch. Uh, if you're thinking her name sounds familiar, it is because her memoir, The Memory Palace, was uh, a big bestseller. This book has themes of friendship, identity. It addresses your sense of belonging and destiny. Um, it's middle grade. It's the first time that Bartuk has written a middle grade book. Has a Dickensian feel with a mix of fantasy and steampunk. And Kirkus gave it a starred review and said it's captivating and with great potential as a read aloud. Mm. Um, so you're looking for a book to read with the kiddos. We know lots of teachers and librarians listen to this show as well. This seems like a great and you know fun and interesting contender. Again, it's called The Wonderling by Mira Bartuk, and we'll have a link to it in the show notes. It is out from Candlewick Press. So thanks to them for sponsoring. I guess this could have gone in the follow-up section from last um last week i guess but i wanted to give it no its no own yeah 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 moment. definitely i think but, but i was gonna say <laughs> you didn't let me do my subordinating clause and my subordinating clause oh but i think it's enough of a story in its own right to get you know a, a proper slot um sales numbers for what happened by hillary clinton which was released last week um is it last week or just tuesday it was on the 12th it was on September oh the 12th. 12th okay um, Simon and Schuster is happy enough to crow publicly about how many copies were sold in addition to what you could get from BookScan or wherever else. Um, they say that it has sold more than 300,000 copies across formats, hardcover, ebook, and audio. Um, hardcover sales of 168,000 were the highest opening for any non-fiction release in five years. Um, the one that um, sold a little bit more in 2012 was Mark Owen's No Easy Day about the killing of Osama bin Laden. Um, yeah, I mean, a lot of interesting things there. Um, I guess the, the the narrative that is bogus has been that no one cares what Hillary has to say right now, mm -hmm. which I think we had a sense of uh, before getting this, this release. Um, I guess for me, the thing that blows me away is 300,000 copies is a great number, but the split I find interesting, 168,000 in hardcover, which leaves 132,000 for ebook and audio, which if assuming that the ebook split for this is what it is industry-wide, which is like 20%, mm -hmm. that means 100,000 or so of these are audio downloads. So a third of these 300, I, I mean, these are just assumptions based on some other things, so they could be completely yeah. wrong. But that seems like a huge number. A third of these are audiobook? I'm blown away by that number. Blown Me away. Me too. It, that's... I thought that this would get a lot of audio traction, mm -hmm. but like in the realm of what a lot means in audio traction with where audio is still what, like 16 or 18% yeah. of the market. It's usually not that big there. It is compelling that she reads sure. the book herself. Yeah, sure. um, I've heard from more than a couple people who have been you know, driving around listening to it and crying. Um, so I, I, would have bought if you if we had been doing predictions mm -hmm. about how this was going to break down i would have said oh maybe more than the usual number of people will do it in audio because it's 
cool to hear Hillary read this book herself. Um, but I would have said, okay, if the market is like 18%, maybe 22 or 24% of the sales will yeah. be audio. But for it to look like it might be as much as a third is bonkers. I would love to see the full breakdown just to know. Yeah. Um, because what just what a really cool thing. I mean, just I was flipping through Publishers Weekly um, for the sales stats. And I think if, if, if I'm looking at this right, the audio alone would be the best-selling title in all of books last week. And again, I just don't understand how these things are compiled. And BookScan doesn't include audiobooks, apparently, I guess. I, I'm really confused about everything. <laughs> it's all very confusing. I mean, this is something I pay attention to, and I still it's still super opaque. Um, but a huge book, uh, going to be a huge book, um, from all indications, not the book people... I don't know, we're afraid of or we're mm -hmm. wanting to spook people about it might being. And um, interesting the, to see so many of their book, I think we said last week, so many of our book riot people are reading this, listening to it. Um, also, even keeping it at arm's length for now, like I said, I am like, I, I want to read this someday, <laughs> but I'm not quite, not quite there yet. Yeah, um, so. I will say I'm almost done with it now. And it's, I think, really remarkable how much she is able to process and synthesize. Like this thing that that I still feel like I'm making sense of and recovering from. The person who was most closely and deeply affected by it has processed. And she, Amanda, and I went up to DC to see her at a politics and prose event last week, and she said she started writing this in February. Like, lost the election in November. Maybe her therapist started, had her start working on it. I'm, I'm, I'm only halfway she, kidding. Like I don't know. She said actually that the book was her therapy. Yeah. Like I, I don't understand how, but it also mentions in the book that she's never been to mm. therapy, which I don't know how you go through this and, and not, but good on you, yeah. Hill. Um, that she started writing it in February. It just came out on September 12th. They Who knows like what process they were doing to edit it as she was going along. But, like This is a very well done and, and, and points where it's argumentative, very cogently argued, mm -hmm. like 500 page book that she wrote in a very short amount of time. Um, putting its sales history up against her other books, I think That's is interesting. interesting. Too, yeah. um, her all time opening was in 2003 for her memoir, Living History, which was the first place that she had publicly written about the whole Monica Lewinsky thing. And that sold more than 600,000 copies mm. in its first week. Um, that was also, they note in this uh, ABC News piece that we'll link in the show notes, that was also before the rise of eBooks and before the collapse of borders mm -hmm. and it seems like them noting that is interesting for like how available these books would have just been out in the world but like i'm guess i'm not surprised that like the prurient interest no, I'm not of, surprised either. uh finding out about a scandal is apparently doubly as compelling as reading about you know the loss of this election um and what she believes happened why it happened i can now safely say from near the end of the book, that if all you've read about it is that she doesn't take responsibility for things, that is not true. <laughs> um, the phrase like, and that was my fault, or and I should have known better, or I didn't see that this was occurring is that this happens throughout hmm. the text. Um, it's pretty remarkable. I can totally understand not being ready for it yet, though. Yeah. Um, let's do another sponsor before we move on to Emmy's Emmy talk. Oh, yeah. We'll keep on cooking. Uh, we are sponsored this week. This is exciting by Very Provenance, exciting. the new novel by Anne Leckie. Uh, this follows her record-breaking debut and award-winning book. This is a new novel 
about power, theft, privilege, and birthright. If the name Anne Leckie is sounding familiar to you, it is because her previous novel, oh my God, it just completely flipped out of my Ancillary Justice? Was that the first one? I can't... Ancillary Justice. Yeah. Yeah, I was about to say auxiliary, and I was like, that's not right. (laughs) Ancillary Justice was huge. Big book. Big trilogy. This book... Provenance is about a power-driven young woman who has one chance to secure the status she craves and regain priceless lost artifacts prized by her people. She has to free their thief from a prison planet from which no one has ever returned. Her name is Ingre, and her charge return her charge to return to her home and find their planet in political turmoil at the heart of an escalating interstellar conflict. Uh, Ingre and her charge also have to make a new plan to salvage her future, her family, and her world before they are lost to her for good. So that is Provenance by Anne Leckie. You've got uh, sci-fi intergalactic battle thefty heisty situation (laughs) happening. Sounds like a lot of fun from a really creative uh, and exciting new writer. So again, that's Provenance. We will have a link to it in the show notes. It's out from Orbit Books. Thanks to them. For sponsoring. So while we're talking about award season, the like season of TV awards, yes. TV and movies, stuff we watch on the screens uh, has just kicked off with the 69th Emmys happened uh, earlier this week. And book adaptations won really big. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of our contributors, Dipali Agarwal, wrote a piece about it for Book Riot. Um, there were lots of great things f- featured, but the, the biggie here is that... Um, at the Emmys this year, a ton of book adaptations. Mm-hmm. The Handmaid's Tale um, won a bunch of things. Big Little Lies, which is adapted from Leanne Moriarty's novel and was on HBO, produced by Reese Witherspoon. Uh, that one, there that's a big book that takes on uh, domestic violence in a really visceral way, and the show does it as well. Um, they won just all kinds of good moments for books happening. I feel like this actually happens a lot. Like Dipali notes in the piece that at the 67th Emmys, the top two TV shows that to take in awards were Game of Thrones and the Olive Kitteridge adaptation. And then last year at the 68th Emmys, the top two spots were The People versus O.J. Simpson and Game of Thrones, mm-hmm. which, of course, Game of Thrones is a book adaptation. Um, but this year, The Handmaid's Tale and Big Little Lies won five awards mm-hmm. each. So that's 10 total awards for book adaptation shows um, just in those top two. And the the Emmy see. for Outstanding Drama Series is sort of the, I don't know, it's the, gold, like it's, the, it's the golden apple, right? It's the, it's the big mm-hmm. one. And it's for Handmaid's Tale to win. That's a big deal. I mean, a huge deal for Atwood, but also for Hulu. Like, that's a Hulu series, um, which is kind of remarkable um, that it turned out to be a great series, and Elizabeth Moss is is great in it. Apparently, I haven't seen it. And then Atwood's on stage, and there's a a great picture of Elizabeth Moss and Margaret Atwood, like, getting ready to hug, um, which Mm -hmm. is pretty amazing. So, good on you, Ms. Atwood. Yeah, there's... I I did watch The Handmaid's Tale, but... It took me like three weeks to recover mm. from having watched the first episode. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that one's rough. Um, and it's it's hard, you know, for all of the reasons that terrible things happen to women in the world of that book. And watching them on screen is really, really difficult. Um, but I felt, ultimately, I felt like it was worth it. I'm pretty hardy um, with that kind of content on TV or movies anyway. But it's not, 
it, it is not easy. Um, and Margaret Atwood has a cameo. So if you like to play mm. that game, you can pick out Margaret Atwood in the cameo. Kind of, I guess, ditto for Big Little Lies. Also, at points, like there's a scandal running through that story um, that compels it forward. Of kind, it's almost a whodunit, uh, but some really difficult stuff um, around domestic violence, and it's right there on the screen. Um, the other thing to note is that Game of Thrones wasn't. I guess in the cycle, it wasn't up for anything. But it's interesting because the next time it will be, it will exceed the books. So it's not really an adaptation anymore, oh, which is kind of a weird, I mean, kind of an interesting wrinkle in here. Um, like, do we get to claim it as a book adaptation yeah, I, I when they're in so. the realm of new content? But I, in the coming years, these Emmys are going to be dominated not only, I think, by streaming services, or at least heavily influenced by streaming services, but the adaptation gold rush, as I've talked about before on the show, is only increasing. I mean, we're getting good omens mm-hmm. from Pratchett and Gaiman. Uh, Alias Grace, an Atwood book, is coming mm-hmm. out as a series. Every Stephen King thing, apparently, is, you know... Right. Um, Every Stephen King thing ever. Today is Stephen King's 70th birthday. Happy birthday to the master. Um, so, I mean, this is not a one-off. Um, we've noted before, when we talked about the Oscars, is usually where we notice... I guess that's what's interesting. As TVs become mm-hmm. more like the movies in quality and prestige, the other thing that's happened is the source material has also become more like the Oscars the, in that so many books are the source material for the shows for reasons that I think are understandable. Like, basically, books provide a really good winnowing process to find great stories. You don't have to go write the story and make the show. You can take the story um, and get started on the production process without having to do all the, the work of coming up with the story. And so that... Yeah, and then you can hold up the audience for the yeah. book as potential audience for right, the movie. Right, right. Yeah. So um, well-deserved. Um, it, it, this picture of Atwood there is just is remarkable. Uh, I'm so good to see her getting uh, the I recognition. Know, she's just the best. Yeah. It's hard to... Th- I try, <laughs> again, I haven't watched award shows you know, back to the beginning of time, but... To see, to see the writer of the source material on stage, this is not something that's because you know so many Best Picture winners are based on a book, but you didn't see you know Stephen King up there with Sawshank Redemption, I don't think, or something like. That. And like Cormac McCarthy didn't show yeah. up on stage for No Country yeah, for Old Men. It's just, right? just something that doesn't happen, and I'm not saying that it should or shouldn't. It's just interesting to see that the Emmys are, I think, more of a party kind of situation. The Oscars are the fanciest of the fancy. And they're very, you know, controlled about who's on stage and who's not. But, you know, it does seem to me like if a picture, if a, if a movie wins Best Picture and it's based on a book, the writer of the freaking book is as important as the executive producer. It's, you know, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. You, uh, you owe them a debt of all kinds of stuff. You know, people just like it's good uh, TV, too. Like, oh, that's the, that's the woman that wrote the <laughs> that's book. That's the that author, wrote the thing. Right. Yeah. Um, interesting to see, too. I, I, I've been so out of movies you know, this year. I have no idea what the Oscar... Uh, uh, race is looking like, but I'm sure once we get down to it, there's going to be book related mm-hmm. Oscar stuff. To well, talk and we about have a, a, a one of our OG Booker contributors yes. who's been with us ever since launch, uh, Rachel Manuel, makes a point every year to watch all of the movies nominated mm-hmm. for Oscars in the at least in the big categories. I think she tries to go all the way down the docket, um, but we usually end up with a piece or two mm-hmm. on Book Riot about the book adaptation one. So you'll have a way to get caught up there i'm completely out of the movie loop this year too i think the last movie i went to see in the theater was get out like several months ago which was worth leaving my house for but 
It's been Michelle a while. And I will um, start to catch the... up once the movies come out on DVD. Like we're watching the yeah. big sick, I think this weekend, and there's some other stuff coming out that we're excited about to see. But I, in terms of what's yeah. what's they... the hot movies, I have zero idea. Zero. In the realm of uh, film adaptations and using sales to prop mm. them up, I have an anecdotal follow-up oh, like humorous here for aside yes. <laughs> about so the uh, the Handbook for Mortals, the book yes. that gamed its way onto the New York Times bestseller list. Uh, I think this was yesterday. So by the time you're listening to this show, it will have happened like a week ago. The author and her friend Thomas Ian Nicholas, who was in the movie American Pie, um, were advertising that they were doing, she was doing a signing for the book at a Barnes and Noble in like the middle of Wisconsin somewhere. And the sign for the appearance was like, literally it says for 23 hours, a number one New York times bestseller. (laughs) And four people went to the signing. There are pictures. It's kind of amazing. Um, So if you've been following that story for, I guess at this point, it's just amusing that she persists. (laughs) 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 Kind of amazing and amusing that she persists in this. Uh, You can, I guess you just keep pushing it and maybe it eventually (laughs) you'll. Well, it worked on four people, at least one of whom went so they could take a picture to prove that no one else was there. Uh, let's do our last sponsor. Then we got a couple of, uh, you know, little nuggets to, to, to round out the show. Uh, this week's episode of the Book Ride Podcast is sponsored by Rakuten Kobo and their new audiobook service, really. So find all your ebooks and audiobooks together in the free Kobo app for iOS and Android. And you can get a subscription for the best deal on audiobooks. So you can go, you can get the first 30, excuse me, first 30 days are free. Um, but Kobo for a long time, especially good internationally, I know we have a lot of international listeners, and you can go get a audiobook subscription basically where you get one credit a month to use towards something, an audiobook of your choice, say What Happened by Hillary Rodham Clinton. I'm just throwing one out there that people might be interested <laughs> just if in. If you needed some right ideas. Now. Um, and the audiobooks are, let's just say they're less expensive. The credits are less expensive than maybe you've heard of some other places charging. I'm just that, you know, I don't know who I'm thinking of. No idea. Um, but that's Kobo Audiobooks. <laughs> um, you can go, you know, it's pretty easy. You can Google Kobo Audiobooks. You can find it um, especially easy if you have a Kobo Audiobooks app on your phone or tablet or something else like that. Um, but audiobooks are all the rage, and you can get them seamlessly. If you're already an existing Kobo customer, it's a nice add-on to have there. But if you're thinking about um, wanting an audiobook subscription and you're looking for someone to get that from, Kobo can now help you out. Thanks to Kobo for sponsoring the show this week. Um, all right. All right, so... Nuggets. This is another um, piece that came across basically the news yes. desk and was written up by a book right contributor. But we haven't had cool tech news. This in is a, while. a good one. This is a good. This is we all need to know this one. Yeah, this is a good one. Um, now, if you are googling a book title, Google will search your local library for the ebook mm-hmm. for it. So Google the name of a book in the search box on your desktop or your smartphone. On your desktop, in the right hand side of the results page, you'll see information about the book, including where to purchase the ebook. If you're on your smartphone, it'll be on the full screen. And you just scroll below the purchasing information and you'll see this added feature that says borrow, check availability at libraries near you. You can type in your city or your zip code and it pops up your library options. Uh, Easy as pie. That's nice. 
easy as pie. And like now I'm 95. This is yeah. Whoopsie daisy. I don't know what else we can say. Uh, <laughs> Pretty cool. The, what's interesting to me about that is it do, Google does. I mean, Google does a lot of things that I don't love. They're so big and so powerful that the the temptation to overreach and skew things um, is tempting. But if you do search for a book, you will get both links to the competitors' places to buy it. You will get Google Play, but you also get Amazon. And um, I'm showing on my phone. I'm also showing Barnes & Noble. But then also, not only will they show competitors for buying, they show the library, which is a competitor to buying at all. Um, right there on the ah, home yeah. screen. So that's home screen. Um, I don't know what that was. Uh, anyway, so I, I think that's one of those situations where Kobo is actually trying to provide, or Google is trying to provide the best experience because if you are searching for a book, there's a, probably a fairly good chance you're as interested in borrowing it from your library as you are from as you are in actually buying the book. Um, it's also not an extension. It's just there. You don't have to do anything. It just shows yeah. up. I tell you, I, this Chrome yeah, extension nice. that I use for my, for that basically will search your local library automatically when you're browsing Amazon is like the best thing that's ever happened to my browser. It's amazing. <laughs> I use it all the time. Um, so anyway, if you're looking for um, power, power, power book nerd stuff, I highly recommend. I'll put a link in the show notes there. Uh, yeah, and well. I don't I don't know if we actually received like a press release or information about this or if contributors just started noticing that when they were Googling books, like, oh, there's a library it, option. Someone noticed um, it somewhere else. I think it was on Reddit or The Verge or someone because mm. I saw a couple stories of it pop up around the same time we did. So either there was a press release and we caught wind of that ripple or just someone, you know, in a quote unquote influencer, uh, right. you know, snapped grammed it. And um, then we were all we were all talking about Google doing it. Um, let's see. Uh, let's talk about just real quick. Um, audiobooks growth um, relates to bookstore sales. We get nerdy for a second. That um, over the July book sales numbers are down a few percent, and basically that's because there's no uh, Cursed Child. Cursed Child sold so many last July in hardcover that it's affecting the whole the whole market. But the um, this is this is amazing. The Associated American Public reported that sales of downloadable audio in 2016 rose 19.7% from the previous year <sighs> and were 24.5% higher in the first four months of 2017 than their comparable, comparable period in 2016. And, and, and so in a relatively flat to slightly down market, depending on which month you're measuring right now, to have, I mean, I guess that's, that's this, what we're seeing the effect of and what happened is the made the you know it's just growing mm-hmm. like gangbusters. I'm really shocked to see, and it's one of those deals too where I don't really know why it's continued to rise. Like nothing's really happened with phones or Audible or whatever that that makes it now easier to do audiobooks than last year or the year before. But that there's some it's breaking through. Right. It's just this yeah, it's just the steam the steam train just keeps rolling, I guess. And there's still so much ceiling for it too. There's so much yeah, growth potential right. left that um it's interesting to see it continue to go in that direction. Like I have some anecdata theories about like mm. why it was so big in the first four months of 2017, but like literal anecdata, just hearing from readers that following the election yes. and the first couple of months of the year, sitting down and focusing on reading was really hard. And like, I just know from people and from our contributors that they were turning to audio 
like leaning a little more heavily on audio in their reading lives because that was a thing that felt like they could do where sitting down and focusing on a book just didn't feel possible for a lot of emotional Mm -hmm. and psychological reasons. I don't know if that was a big enough phenomenon to have been part of this swing, but I'm, I'm willing to guess that it could have been part of it. I don't know what the rest of it is, though, other than just... If you're only at 16 or 18% of the market, you have a lot of room to grow to get more readers mm. to start pers- you know, pursuing, consuming books. This is a, a hard day, Jeff, mm-hmm. um, to get them to start consuming books in that format. Maybe it's just experimenting. There are a lot more options for getting downloadable audio than just the one you know, big service for doing it now. I don't know how much variability of options has to do with more people being willing to try, yeah, but maybe libraries have better, uh, you know, audiobook borrowing capabilities too. It's it's really yeah, but would that question. affect I sales? Read, I mean, it like, seems like the audio. It seems like library audiobooks lending getting easier oh, would negatively right. yeah, impact that's not sales. sales. But I, hmm. I don't know this one. This one example they have it just blows me away. This book has sold like gangbusters. And a disclaimer: they sponsored some stuff for us earlier in the year. The subtle art of not giving a. F um, apostrophe CK or uh, asterisk CK. Um, the, it, since it's released, the book has had audio sales of more than 470,000 copies, which just, whoa. Bonkers. But compare, <laughs> and, and 490,000 in print, so almost so equity. almost the same. That's that, crazy. And I don't know why that particular book would be the case. I There's so much here I don't understand. I do wonder if the, increase, the increased um, popularity and visibility of podcasts have also just acclimated some people to audiobooks as well, just to the idea of, of audio entertainment in your ears mm-hmm. that's not radio. Um, that I, I don't know, like if if you got on the serial train and now you're used to hearing stories in your ears, are you more, were you now more sort of willing to try a book on audio? Also, I don't understand why we had so much gnashing of teeth and clutching of pearls around ebooks, and there's yep. no equivalent gnashing like no of teeth about of, audiobook you know, sales and destroying the book industry? I think it's because audiobooks aren't new. They're just changing formats. Like we went from tapes to CDs Boy, to that, that's a Kahneman-Tversky ha- logical fallacy. I have no idea what that is just because a thing isn't new and it's, yeah. I mean, whatever. Oh, I mean, yeah. that is, cr- I mean, you, you're probably right. Sorry, it, it blows yeah. me away that that could probably. Yeah, no, that's a weird, I think, but I think that's what it is that like ebooks, showed up and were this completely new thing mm. that you consumed with a completely new technology. Mm. And it was like, what's going to happen to books if everyone likes technology better? Yeah. Um, where audiobooks just sort of changed shape. Um, and I don't remember, like I was way too young when the transition happened from tapes to CDs. Mm. I sincerely doubt that there was like gnashing of teeth about like, what's going to happen now that our books are on CD instead of on tape? Right. But I, but I do think that because it was a change of kind, yeah. not a whole new thing, p- people just like maybe they should be. I agree that like if you're going to make a big deal out of what ebooks are, then look at where audiobooks are really continuing to grow mm-hmm. and that will be cutting into print sales. Wor- like, if you're going to worry about something, this seems reasonable to worry about, but it doesn't, you're right, it doesn't make any sense to freak out about ebooks and not freak out about what's happening with digital audio. I mean, I guess, I guess an ebook sale versus a print sale directly hits physical bookstores in, in in the face. Whereas I don't know how many seed, you know, I don't know how many 25 CD versions of um, Ken Follett novels bookstores were actually selling. So it's maybe it's one of those things where we, we register a loss 
worse than a gain we didn't have? Does that, I mean, that's a Kahneman Tversky situation for yeah, sure, right? You know, like it's, e- even if it's $20 someone spends somewhere else, if they weren't spending it with you before, you don't feel it as bad. It doesn't feel as painful, right, even because- the $20 is the same. Yeah, right. Every download of the pillars of the earth from, say, Audible is still a purchase of the pillars of the earth in some format that someone didn't make from a bookstore. But they never expected Mm -hmm. to get that purchase um, in the way that they expected to get, say, print sales that then went to ebooks. And I do think also the problem, a, a lot of that problem that happened with people freaking out about ebooks was that Amazon led the way by so much like but audible, for so long uh, anyway, you're you're not the, you're not yeah, the guilty like, party here but i guess people don't do people not realize or think about audible is is the uh, the king of audiobooks and they're a wholly owned yeah, they just anyway. it's i mean yeah people thinking about stuff yeah right you mean people <laughs> don't think logically about stuff News amazon led the way where as like the only place to get ebooks yeah. for so long that i feel like that's really what tipped that whole mm-hmm. sky is falling thing was like it's it's partially what's going to happen to print and the physical bookstores but also what happens when people want these ebooks and Amazon is the only place to get them like it took Barnes and Noble forever yeah, to did. develop it the Nook after the Kindle came out yeah. and, and it took even longer than that for Kobo to come out and roll out with independent bookstores like the lead time was just really incredible there and that I think that was a large part of that free every out. week um iBooks turns over its top 20 best selling audiobooks to publishers weekly and they print them without any numbers just in you know rank order just for fun <laughs> um i guess because audible doesn't amazon doesn't provide it but it says interesting here that um of the top 20 in audiobooks for the week of or, or oh, i'm sorry for the first eight months of 2017 only six of the top 20 appeared on both the bestsellers for audiobooks for ibooks and the print bestseller list so people are also listening to different books than they're buying in print mm-hmm. um the four agreements by Dan, Don Miguel Ruiz is the second yeah. one, which is a book I've never heard of. Self-help. There's a lot of self-help. It might be that. Yeah. Self-help and business books. It is. Yeah, um, it's self-help. There's a lot of that. But, um, you know, The Art of War by Sun Tzu, The Handmaid's Tale, Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, Rich Red Poor Dad. Like, it's a it's an interesting list. I don't know what to do with it except that to note how much of the resilience in book selling writ large, like the publish, publishing industry writ large, is being um, supported by audiobooks and primarily digital audiobooks. And none of the sky is falling stuff around ebooks is has translated over an audio because I we must be approaching the point where in terms of dollar per dollar, more money is being spent on audiobooks than ebooks right now. We've got to be getting close. You can't grow this much mm-hmm. I mean, if we're not there already, maybe I'll do some homework for next time and see, make, make some conjectures um, and projections. But that, that's it's certainly true for me. Most of my dollars spent on books um, for my own personal non-work-related reading is ghost audiobooks. That's true for me right now. Um, interesting as well. Uh, anything else we want to hit before we get out of here? No, I think let's call that a show. Yeah, we, we kind of I mentioned the Harry, no Harry Potter bump. Um, yeah, interesting stuff. I guess I, we have a lot of booksellers, book industry people out there. Our question of the week is why why no angst about audiobooks? Mm. Oh, and if maybe there is angst and we just haven't heard it. Um, Tell us your angst. Yeah. This is, did you see, may I put this in the show? Did you see that article um, or the, the blog post that that uh, Seattle mystery bookstore 
that's closing published. Did you see that one? Oh, no, I missed that. Uh, maybe I'll preview it for next time we can talk about because it, it touches on a lot of things we're interested in. Basically, I don't remember the name of the bookstore, but there's a bookstore in Seattle, a mystery, a mystery bookstore in Seattle that's been around for 30 years, and it's going out of business. And they posted sort of the why I'm leaving New York of, you know, but no, of why oh. the bookstore is closing. And they sort of <laughs> oh, talk yes. through the reasons. And some of it, I think, is interesting, and some of it is 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 a little fud, but... It does, I think, encapsulate a certain vision of the modern state of publishing and book buying and book selling and reading that I think would be super interesting for us to talk about. So that's what we call a tease in the business. You'll hear more about that (laughs) week. You can find show notes to this and all back episodes of the Book Riot podcast at bookriot.com slash listen. Uh, You can go check out Lit Chat if you want to check that out. The links are the show notes to their advertisers as well. You might want to check out Kobo Audiobooks. Kobo, you know, people want audiobooks. Let's give them the audiobooks, says Kobo. Provenance by Anne Leckie is now out. You can go find that. And The Wonderling, go check that out as well. Thank you guys so much for sponsoring the show. Email us with why no angst um, about audiobooks at podcast at bookriot.com. And we'll talk to you guys next week. Have a good one. Mm-hmm.